I'm Laura London, and this is a special live stream edition of Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for episode 111 is Jungian analyst and the author of Jung's Map of the Soul, Dr. Murray Stein in Zurich, Switzerland. He holds a Master of Divinity from Yale University and a PhD in Religion and Psychological Studies from the University of Chicago. He trained as a Jungian analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute Zurich, where he earned a diploma in analytical psychology, which is the degree of a Jungian analyst, and later went on to co-found the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago, where he worked as a training analyst. He served as president of the International Association for Analytical Psychology, which is the governing body of Jungian analysts, and the International School of Analytical Psychology, where he currently works as a training and supervising analyst. Dr. Stein is a very prolific author. His most recent book, Four Pillars of Jungian Psychoanalysis, was published on February 1st. And his new book, The Mystery of Transformation, will be released on July 15th. His collected writings are currently being published by Chiron. The fourth volume, The Practice of Jungian Psychoanalysis, was released on March 15th, and his Map of the Soul book series for young adults, published in 2019 and 2020, includes transcripts from our episodes on the Grammy-nominated K-pop group BTS. A full list of Dr. Stein's books, interviews, DVDs, and more can be found on Speaking of Jung's special Murray Stein page in the blog section. Our previous episodes with Dr. Stein date back to 2015, when I visited him at his office in Zurich. We've also recorded episodes on Jung's Map of the Soul, The Analyst and the Rabbi, Jung's Red Book for Our Time, and nine episodes on BTS, covering the topics of Jung's concepts of the persona, shadow, ego, and psychological types, as well as BTS's speech at the United Nations. Please visit Speaking of Jung's special BTS page for links to all of that content. My conversation with Dr. Stein will be followed by a discussion with fellow BTS Army members, Jungian analyst Dr. Melissa Werner, and BTS Army Help Center counselor Tiffany Helton. This episode is being live streamed on Saturday, June 18th, 2022, through the magic of StreamYard. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Stein. Really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Laura, as always. So we're here once again uh, to talk about BTS. And I was just thinking that, you know, we've done so many episodes about them because they are living examples, right, of some of the concepts uh, that you write about. Yes, you, you just mentioned in the intro, uh, and I didn't realize it, that uh, we've done nine um, uh, interviews episodes, or nine yeah. discussions, episodes um, about BTS. And uh, they've just uh, completed nine years. I think they they celebrated their ninth anniversary the other day at their dinner party, didn't they? That's right. So I guess we're matching them. There's something yeah. about the number nine, hmm. I think, that's significant. Um, uh, yes, um, I think they do. Uh, they certainly uh, want to speak for the new generation, as they say. Uh, they've spoken at the UN twice. They uh, said the same thing 
more or less at the White House with um, President Biden the other day. I think they are speaking for um, a generation that um, uh, that they represent. I think they, they were born, uh, what you wrote me, um, in the 1990s, all of them. And yes. they're now between the ages of um, 24 and 28, 29. Mm-hmm. So that generation, I guess it's called the millennials and the X generation, um, uh, are among their, uh, probably in the majority of their fans, although they, their fans have a very widespread in age, haven't they? Yeah. From what I gather, um, people of all ages. And um, uh, you recently did an episode with um, Dr. Otsuka in Japan, uh, I was talking to him the other day, and he said that the BTS is um, very popular in Japan uh, among both young people and older people. And it's the older people who are um, so upset right now about this announcement that they made at their dinner party the other day that they're taking some time off. Um, Whereas the younger people seem to understand that's that's, uh, something one has to do and um, seem to understand a little better the nature of psychological development and forming an identity in the first half of life, which is what we're looking at right? Um, and what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. You, you said that the the older generations are, are more upset about their announcement? <laughs> That's so. what he told me. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but uh, what, um, <laughs> I think the... Um, the, the fan group, the army, and, and, and their you know fan base, um, are very attached to them, and they're very attached to the army. And yeah. you can see that in everything they say and do. Um, they're always mentioning their devotion to the army, their respect, and their appreciation for the army. And I think the army has been um, a kind of container and support system for them, and a booster, a big booster, and a protector. And in my mind, they've acted a bit like a family, um, extended family, or a great mother um, mm. in this protection and support aspect. And that um, uh, I was thinking that parents often get upset or worried when their children begin to uh, break out of the um, stage of, uh, of their development where they're at home and taken care of and, and you can keep an eye on them. And now they're off to college or they're in the military or they're going on, a, on an adventure on their own. And um, the, uh, the parents get upset. Um, the siblings understand right. it and they cheer them on. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was thinking about that, that the Army is a kind of parental unit um, and um, very protective and um, nurturing and supportive uh, and now worried, you know, what's going to happen to yeah. them. Um, yeah, yeah. That's interesting you mentioned that because they got together, I think it was actually back in 2010, the group started forming. So they were what are considered trainees with the company, the record label, the management company, I'm not sure what to call it. And so they left home. They, at a young age, were no longer living with their parents. They were living with each other. And of course, the management company's staff. Uh, But 
maybe that has something to do with why they are so attached to the BTS army. For those who are not familiar, their fan base uh, is called the army. And I'd like to preface it with BTS army because here in the United States, we have an actual army. A lot of countries do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I wanted to ask you about that connection and uh, between the members and army and, it seems very genuine. And I was at their two of their concerts in Las Vegas a couple of months ago. And uh, when I, I had closer seats this time, and when they came around in these wagons, I could see that I was very, very close to them. And, you know, the eyes tell a lot. And their, their connection, their feelings, their emotions seem very pure and genuine to me. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, part of what moves me so much uh, when it comes to them. And I would also like to mention, I received um, a very unusual email from someone who's not at all happy that that I devote so much time on speaking of Young to BTS. And, and he told me to leave it to the teenage girls. And I just would like to say that uh, at the concerts in Las Vegas, I saw all different age groups. And uh, I'm 57 and uh, I'm going to be joined uh, in the second half by uh, an analyst who's a little bit older than I am. And she's a BTS Army too. And there were a lot of men uh, this time. And I want to talk to you about men specifically. There were a lot of men at the concert. And of course, women outnumbered the men. But the BTS member, one of them, V, specifically asked, gave a shout out to the men and asked the men to cheer. And they were surprised at how many more men uh, they were there were there than, than expected. So for listeners who are not familiar, uh, on their anniversary, they did, uh, I sent you the link to it, and I'm sure you watched it, uh, a dinner party, which they do every year on their anniversary. Their anniversary is uh, June 13th, uh, 2013 was the date of their debut. And they got very emotional during this dinner party. I think we should just for some of the listeners who might not be familiar, um, they announced that they were going to be spending time apart and working on solo projects so they can get to know themselves and express themselves outside of a group. So I was wondering if you would share with us your thoughts on being in that age range, 24 to 29, what is natural for a male young adult in well, that stage? To begin yeah. with, these young men have not lived a natural life. Mm-hmm. Um, if by natural, you mean, you know, what most people live. Um, they were sequestered um, at right. a very early age. It's like going to a boarding school and you see your parents occasionally, but you are kept in a, I think they lived together in a house or several houses. They moved a couple of times um, and they lived together. Uh, it was like a boarding school. Um, and they, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't an ordinary school. I don't know what kind of education they got, whether they had some classes in history and, and uh, science and mathematics and so on or not. But most of the time, I think they rehearsed and they practiced and they got so good at what they did that they were um, um, amazingly successful in shooting up to the top of the charts. In nine years, they reached the very top. They were 
the most popular group in the world in 2021 by sales and viewings and so on. And they have an enormous um, fan base. So they have a, a big success story. They all became celebrities. This is not normal. I mean, this is right. not what most people experience between the ages of uh, you know, 13 and, and uh, 25 or 26. What most people experience is school. You go to school and, and you're living at home and then you go to college and or into the military. And you know, this is a time where you um, go through your adolescence and you begin to experience yourself as a young adult. Um, there, adolescence is a kind of initiation time for traditionally for um, young men. Um, if you look at ancient cultures, you know, at the age of 13 or 14, they leave the mother's group and they go with the men into the men's group and they go out into the bush and they have initiation ceremonies and they're introduced to the gods of the tribe and they come back with a new identity as young men. Yeah. They're no longer mother's sons, now they're father's sons. And so that transition from the mother's world into the father's world is what happens during this uh, period of life. Uh, the mother's world being more nurturing, easier going, less demanding, um, protective. The father's world more demanding. Now they did enter the father's world. That's a world of high demands um, for performance, excellence. They're being graded, they're being tested. They, um, and they did exceptionally well. Um, so um, you could say that they've, uh, they've achieved um, um, the second stage of life. I wrote a book, incidentally, it was published uh, not too long ago called Men Under Construction. Yes. And I talk about five stages of uh, development of a man. Um, this also applies to women or trans people or whatever. It isn't really specific to men. But mm -hmm. uh, what I try to speak about there is a, a normal or um, usual sequence of psychological stages that men will go through in the course of a lifetime, being born at zero and dying at the age of in their 90s or something. Mm -hmm. uh, you can sort that out into the two halves of life as Jung did first half of life and the second half of life. And uh, Jung called this individuation, becoming oneself. You're born with a self, but it takes time for that to express itself, show itself in the course of the years. And um, so by the time uh, a, a young man reaches the age of late 20s, 30-ish, um, they will have normally, ordinarily, entered into the father world, will have found a, a vocation, a job, a career, the beginnings of a career. It's exceptional. These young men have, have already achieved a huge yeah. career and celebrity. So it's uh, uncertain what they're going to do from here. The thing they haven't done, or that we we haven't seen at least, is to achieve um, uh, intimate relations with uh, with with a, a, a chosen lover, or beloved, um, and typically um, that begins in the adolescent period. You know, you have a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Nowadays, it can be same sex or same gender or other. Yeah. Uh, but there is that experience of intimacy, and for most people, that is quite important in forming um, uh, identity and um, finding yourself, um, um, you know, located in a specific place in life with a 
maybe with a, a, a partner or even a family beginning, children by that age. That right. is out of the picture. And what they talk about in, in this dinner party, which is very interesting, we, we could spend uh, a lot of time going through that line by line, but there's, it, it, it flows in. It wasn't carefully scripted, clearly, if you read the, the, the transcript. Yeah, not at all scripted, yeah. But I'm sure they knew what they were aiming for, what sure. they come to talk about. And so they start out sort of joking around, it's party atmosphere, let's eat. And then yeah. they start talking about uh, their differences. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, we aren't all the same. Uh, and at this point, they've been allowed, I guess, to find their own homes and decorate their own living spaces. Mm -hmm. So they're not living together as they used to. And they talk about the, the different ways in which they've decorated their houses. A few weeks ago or months ago, we had a, a program on typology. Uh, they all took the Myers-Briggs type inventory, MBTI, and there you could see them sorting themselves out by typology. Some are more introverted, some more extroverted, some are thinking, some are feeling, and so on. And so they're they're sorting their differences, and they're starting to see that they aren't just a single unit, which is the way they've been treated all this right. time. The way I've looked at them, there's seven in one. Seven is a prime number. You can't divide it by anything but itself. Um, and now that prime number is coming into uh, a different kind of focus. Uh, you're getting seven ones instead of mm. seven, a, a single unit. You're getting seven individual pieces that have gone into that unit. And um, so they talk about that, their differences. And then they talk also about having lost their way. Right. That very interesting. They said in, during the pandemic, since the pandemic hit two years ago, three years ago now, um, they um, everything really changed for them because they couldn't go to the to the to the um, um, what do you call them the the, um, the world tour, the concerts. They had to cancel their big world tour. Yeah, concerts where thousands, tens of thousands of people come, and you know it really gave them. A lot of we say uh, narcissistic supplies. Right. When you're admired to that extent, and you see it, and you hear the applause, and you're interacting, it's like it really gives meaning to your life. That was taken away for a period of time. They, they had to cancel their tours. Everything was done in a studio. It's a very different experience performing that way. So that changed things, and they said they lost their way. What is the meaning of what we're doing? Mm -hmm. it's a kind of burnout. One person even mentioned burnout, I think. So it's like they were pushed so hard to do, to live according to a very tight schedule, almost a military type program, you know, where every minute is used to train you and to practice for the next performance. Um, and then in the free time, they had other th things scheduled. Some are taking um, language lessons. Some are taking Pilates, doing various kinds of things. Right. And they're getting tired of it. And it's so there's a kind of burnout. And they say, we've lost our way. What is the meaning of this? All of that points to a kind of crisis. So they find mm -hmm. themselves at nine years at a crossroads. And they say toward the end of that, uh, and this was the, the um, startling announcement, I think that really uh, upset a lot of people about what, what's happening now is that they're taking some time off. 
Yeah. As you say, they're going to do some solo work. Some are going to do solo performances. Some want to write their own songs. They want to write their own lyrics. They, uh, who knows what they'll do with this time. Uh, but they're not going to appear as a group for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And so that feeling of being so connected to the group that everything you do as an individual has to be tied in to what the group thinks and wants. You know, you're you're very um, restricted. Yeah. Um, who knows what else is going on in there? You know, in the way of direction and uh, pressures to perform in a certain way, do certain numbers, and they want to break out of this container. These are animals who want to leave the circus. <laughs> they want to go into mm -hmm. the wild. Um, they're tired of being in the cages. They're tired of being trained by other people. Mm. And so they're at a crossroads of, um, we would say, individuation. Uh, they're going to become more individual now. That doesn't mean that they can't stay in the family. Children leave their families and form another kind of relationship with their siblings and their parents and so on. But it isn't going to be what it was in the first nine years. Now, when you come to the 10th year, You've made a decade and you start thinking, um, you know, what happens after that in the next decade? Mm -hmm. uh, what look like at a, when they celebrate their 19th um, uh, anniversary. Anniversary, dinner. yeah. Yeah, what will it look like uh, looking back from there? It will be different from the way it's been till now. Till now, they've been a single unit, tightly organized as a group. They're going to be much more individual how that will play itself out in their musical lives. Um, if you look at other groups that have come to a crisis like this, like the Beatles, for instance, they really went their separate ways and didn't come back together again. They became um, uh, soloists or lived a very different kind of life from what they right. had done in the group. Um, this may be different. Um, BTS may very well come back together as a different kind of group um, with um, perhaps uh, solos built into their numbers or uh, one could imagine all kinds of things. The thing about the individuation process is it's so unpredictable. Okay. Um, uh, you have stages, they're typical, but what happens within those stages mm. is so dependent on circumstances, on synchronicity, somebody appears in your life suddenly uh, an anima figure this is this was my fantasy okay mm -hmm. uh, rm is traveling he's gone going somewhere he comes on a trip to to europe say he's he's in uh, paris or something um and suddenly he meets somebody who is different from anybody he's ever known before mm -hmm. strikes him as this is the one okay then you have an anima experience. That comes next in the program. <laughs> the anima follows the development of the persona and the ego and the shadow and all that. Once you've done that work, and they, to some extent they've done that, they're certainly aware of what they've sung about it. When the yeah. anima appears, it's a whole different, a whole new uh, ballgame in the sense that uh, what is being tapped in your psyche is a much deeper level of meaning and need and, and, and attachment. Uh, it's different from being in a family where you're a They're a family. They want to even get, uh, they said in the 
the dinner party, they want to get uh, tattoos on their fingers or something. Yeah, and they're doing them now. They're, they're really bad. doing it. <laughs> Some so of them got them, yeah. Yeah, uh, but, um, and it's different from my sister. You know, the anima is a kind of sister, but she's more, much more than a sister. An anima is a goddess. And when you're involved with a goddess, you're taken into another realm, another realm of fantasy, another realm of meaning. Um, and you're often isolated from other people for a period of time. If you look at Odysseus, I wrote a book called In Midlife when I was about yeah. their age, just a little old, ah. older. Um, uh, I was in my early 30s when I wrote that, and it was based on some of my own experience at about their age. Um, and uh, I went through um, uh, uh, early midlife crisis, uh, a divorce, and uh, meeting uh, another person who was the one and um, all that business. Um, and the anima experience at that age now, it's different from an adolescent girlfriend or uh, boyfriend, at that age is a, uh, Jung says it's your fate. You have met your fate. The anima is your fate. Now, it can be a man or a woman, but that anima experience uh, changes the course of your life for better or worse. You can lose yourself in it. You can find yourself in it, but it's very unpredictable. And in, in my book, In Midlife, I talk about Odysseus's journey back to Ithaca when he leaves Troy and it takes him 10 years to get back home. Mm -hmm. In that period of time, he has a number of uh, meetings with anima figures, and one is Circe. Yeah. And Susie is a goddess who lives on an island. She's a witch. Uh, she can turn men into swine. But uh, Hermes teaches Odysseus how to deal with her so he can have a relationship with her without getting turned into a swine, without losing his identity, losing mm -hmm. himself. So if you're clever and you're lucky and um, Hermes is with you, uh, it does, you spend a period of time with the uh, anima and you're out of circulation you know men drop out when they when they meet their partner mm -hmm. their former friendships change yeah. and that and their friends say where where is old uh freddie he used to he used to come and play cards with us every wednesday night he doesn't show up anymore oh he's with his girlfriend now he's with a woman you know they're they're engaged she's got other plans for him yeah. uh, looking at apartments they're they're traveling around the world uh, so this, you become very tight with this other person that you've projected the anima to. Mm -hmm. That could happen to these uh, young men. You don't know what will happen to them. Yeah, and I would like to ask you, uh, let me just jump in here. I think that that is a sensitive subject among ARMY is them having, the members of BTS having those types of relationships uh, because they haven't so far, or at least they've kept them private. They've kept and, them very private. Yes, fine. and it's very difficult to see a 29-year-old man who's not, you know, had some type of intimate relationship. It's only natural. And now the Korean culture is very no, different. That's very different. <laughs> from the American culture here, here in the United States. And so, and I don't pretend to understand everything about it. Uh, but I'm wondering how this has affected them if they've had to 
put that on the back burner or suppress those urges. And I want to ask you specifically, uh, what would you say to armies who are worried or upset uh, about the possibility that they are going to have these relationships public? That, that they're going to fall in love and be seen out in public. Well, it's, um, do you love them or don't you love them? If you love them, you, you want what's best for them. If you just uh, want them to be what you want them to be, then you're, you know, you're a tyrannical parent. Or uh, mm. uh, The army has to decide what is their attitude toward these individuals now. They've been entertained by them. They've been loved by them. Uh, they've been, you know, they've interacted with them mm -hmm. to some extent. Um, but uh, if the army really wants what's best for these seven individuals, then they have to support their individuation stories, okay? And uh, cheer them on to, um, to have the best life they can possibly have as individuals. Now you're right, Korean culture is different. I heard about an actress, a, a very, very successful, beautiful actress who was under contract to um, one of the television or, or um, cinema companies in Korea. And they did not allow her to have any dates or any relationships, love relationships, mm -hmm. until um, the age of 40. She now is engaged and is going to be married. She's been released at the age of 40. Oh. Can you imagine that? But this was the contract. Uh, if you want to enter into that world, it is very strict, apparently. And I think BTS has um, cooperated with that and benefited yeah. from it. And they've sure done a wonderful job with them in promoting, you know, their, their, their masters or whoever manages them. Um, has certainly um, done well by them. They've done extremely well. But um, these are young men who have their own lives to live and their own needs and their own desires. And um, Jung said that if you don't follow your individuation path and what the self wants, not just what the ego wants and what your conscience or your culture wants, but if you don't follow to some extent at least what the self wants, it will uh, destroy you. Now, how will it destroy you? Um, you? There are many ways the self can destroy you, but one way is to you'll get totally burned out, depressed, anxious, not be able to function anymore. Uh, you'll have lost your way, and you'll have to find your way, way back. That's when people go into analysis, you know. They've uh, yeah. achieved quite a bit in the first half of life, then they come to the analysts say, I can't keep doing this anymore. I'm, I'm running out of interest, out of steam. I'm no libido for it. Um, I can't uh, just keep going to work anymore and doing the same old thing. So then you go, what do you do? The analyst goes with you inward. You take an inner journey. The analyst doesn't have the answers to that. The analyst can't tell you, oh, you know, take these lessons or, you know, learn a new sport or get a new hobby. That isn't what analysts do. They say, let's look at your dreams. Um, and maybe you, you can do some active imagination. We're going to go inward and we're going to find the answer for your life within yourself, mm -hmm. not in what other people want for you, not what the army wants, not what your 
employers want, even what your spouse might want, or your best friends. We're going to find what the self wants for you. It doesn't exclude all those other people, but it's going to give it a new focus. And, and um, that journey inward is to find um, the core of what will be uh, the direction, meaningful direction for the rest of your life. That's what I, uh, I write about in my book, Men Under Construction, that following the anima and going inward far enough, you get a sense of vocation that gives you a mission for the rest of your life. It gives mm -hmm. you a core of value and meaning. That the anima takes you inward. First, your experience are outward. It's a great love affair. But then you have to also follow her inward. And that is what analysts do with people. We, mm -hmm. We're going to find your anima within. She connects you, links you to the self. Uh, and once you find that, um, you can have relationships with anybody you want to, but you're going to stay true to that direction that you find there, to that vocation, and that will guide you. And well, if others can come along with you, fine. And if they can't, um, that's that's fine too. Yeah. So that's what individuation really is all about, finding the self and following it. And these young men are now at a crossroads. You know, they've declared themselves, we've lost our way, we need to find our way. And um, one thing to think about too is, do groups individuate? Mm. Look at individuals, the individuation process is very based on single individuals, the way Jung writes about it, the way we work with it in analysis. But people have um, discussed um, the ways in which groups might evolve and individuate. They have to change as well. The dynamics have to change within the group. So maybe it, it changes from having a very strong leader to becoming a more democratic system uh, so that you have seven leaders, not one yeah. leader. And more of them are learning English. So, you know, the, the burden has fallen on RM's shoulders to be yeah. the translator. And now more of them are le learning English and, and can pick up some of that as well. And some of them may decide to live in other countries. You know, you don't know. Will they stay in Korea? Mm -hmm. Will they mm -hmm. branch out? Uh, if they um, find an anima who lives in Alaska or California or something, maybe they'll... Um, move out of Korea for a while. This is unpredictable. You just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, so, I, I do have a question. I'm going to jump in here about the anima. So if, if um, hmm, how do I say this? What about men, uh, homosexual men? Um, it's no different. How does I that work? So would, would it be still be considered an anima figure? Yeah, it's a... It's Eros. Anima is Eros. Uh, I asked John Beebe one time, who's a very well-known Jungian analyst. Yeah, we just had him on. Gay all his life and that declared, and you know, that's no secret at all. He's lived um, a gay life since he was 15 or 16 years old, I think, mm -hmm. and he's now 80-something. Yeah. Um, and um, he's written about it and talked about it. He wrote a wonderful book called The, um, the Integrity within the deep integrity, the depths of integrity, something like that. And um, I asked him about that. Um, 
And he said, oh, um, uh, that is the uh, Eros connection between me and my partner. That's the anima. We sit together, we travel together, we do all kinds of things together. It's our bond. It's our love for each other. That's what links us. That's what connects us. So um, I think it's, um, I think of the anima as the eros factor and the animus as the logos factor. We all have both. So it's a man's inner feminine nature and that can be, uh, that can show up in the outside world as a man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can, it can, uh, it can be projected into um, a man who fits the, the, um, the picture. Um, we have these inner pictures that we don't yeah. know about. And when we find that person, we have a certain experience with him. Uh, it's, a, it's a very deep bond. Um, it's a kind of kinship we find with him. Jung writes about kinship libido. Uh, when this uh, unconscious bond um, um, suddenly appears or um, gets activated, and it's a two-way thing, uh, mm -hmm. it's possible to fall in love with somebody who doesn't fall in love with you. Right. That usually doesn't work out very well. Oh. Um, but when it's mutual, uh, when... Uh, uh, you meet my inner figure and I meet your inner figure. I'm your animus, you're my anima. Um, and then at another level, uh, my anima likes your animus. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's like thinking uh, about my mother marrying your father, something like that, okay? Would they get along, my anima and your animus? Um, but the animus is the mind element. You know, when, when you see a couple together, it can be a very superficial, very exciting, very sexual, you know, uh, uh, coupling for a period of time. But if, if the, um, uh, the, the animus factor, which is the conversation, the uh, search for meaning together doesn't, uh, enter into the picture, um, the, the, the couple won't work. It the search for meaning, you say? It, the search for meaning and the, uh, if you can't have a good, meaningful conversation mm -hmm. with your partner, you're in trouble. Um, if, if mm. uh, and, and people have told me about this, you know, married for a long time, we have nothing more to talk about. Uh, mm. There's no, there's no, uh, meeting at the animus level. The animus is logos. It's, it's meaning, thinking, uh, spiritual activities, uh, art, um, the higher level functionings. Um, the anima is connected to feeling and the body and um, instinct. And uh, so uh, when you've got both of them working in a couple, you've got uh, a good chance of a sustainable coupling over a long period of time, mm -hmm. successful couples that you see, you'll see them in their old age talking with excitement to each other. You know, that it's interesting yeah. to my wife. She's got good ideas. I mm. learned from her um, and she learns from me. And, and so that's a part of the relationship that is very important. Um, and uh, with these young men, um, I think they're very intelligent. It sounds like they sp they can speak well. They, 
yeah. show themselves to be, uh, you know, really on the upper levels of uh, IQ um, attainments or abilities. Um, and if they find a, a, a female or a male partner who can share that with them, as well as this other Eros level, um, that's going to be a very powerful incentive to couple. And the couple creates problems for the group. Um, men's groups break up because men in them start coupling. Now, if that couple is um, um, flexible enough, let's say, and the man can uh, rejoin his men's group uh, for a period of time, maybe go on a trip, maybe go, go bowling or play cards or uh, go do something together. Men like to do things together, go hunting, go fishing. Um, then the men's group can sustain itself. Um, um, but if that couple is really intense and and there's jealousy and possessiveness and wanting to please the other, it really breaks up the group. So uh, groups have a hard time surviving this coupling episode in their lives. And um, that's bound to happen with the BTS members. They're just of that age when they're ready to meet uh, a partner and get intensely involved with a partner. And uh, and that's also very creative when they do. You have an anima experience, you write poetry, you know, you sing songs, you, you rejoice. Um, Wagner wrote Tristan and Isolde while he was in love with somebody else's wife. You know, um, so uh, it, it makes music, um, but it's individual music. Um, that would be the solos. Um, and how the group will be able to come together again after this period of separation. Yeah. That's a, a real question. I, I don't have an answer to that. I hope they do in some way. It would be very interesting to see this group evolve into a more multi-faceted um, 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 unit, you know, a unit with seven centers instead of just a, a unit. Mm -hmm. um, it could be very interesting and, and encouraging for um, societies and cultures that have to learn to tolerate great differences and uh, not only tolerate them, but benefit from the differences. Mm -hmm. I'd like to point out how there are seven of them, as we've been saying, and they started living together, uh, some of them uh, in 2010, and then uh, members kept being added until they were the seven, and they stayed a group for a very long time. I mean, they, they still are a group, but to me, that's very rare to have seven individuals. And I didn't really think about how different and unique they all were until they pointed that out very specifically in this dinner party yes. uh, and, and mentioned how they would argue and fight and disagree and how that now, since they are each living in their own house condo they're mm -hmm. actually getting along better because mm -hmm. they have that buffer that privacy that space and they're not all in each other's space yeah. all the time yeah right and that can become uh, you know so they can be uh, it can become like um, a uh, collegial relationship you know i have a good 
relationships with my analyst friends in, in our society. We each have our own partners, our own lives, and we come together uh, at meetings. We work together on committees. We uh, speak the same language. We sometimes gather for pleasurable occasions, birthdays, and so on. And we work together. It's a working group. It's a good working group. Um, and it does benefit from uh, some separation and distance. I think if you're living together, like in monasteries, you know, where the monks would live together for many years, the atmosphere can sometimes get very bitter. Um, oh. you know, the, the conflicts aren't really resolved, the envies, the rivalries, the jealousies uh, um, just fester. Um, and um, the way they deal with them is through meditation and prayer and, and mm -hmm. trying to um, rise above that level. But if you talk to um, abbots of monasteries, you'll find out that um, you know, the atmosphere in those places can be very negative and, and um, nasty uh, um, because they are living in such close proximity to each other, even though they might have their own individual rooms or cells, but it's, um, yeah, it's not just living in community. Yeah, not just living together, but also working together, practicing together, singing together, yeah. singing together on the same song. Yeah, and, and not being able to, yeah, yeah. to express themselves. Uh, I had sent you some notes about persona, um, which I'd like to ask you about because uh, with this anniversary and the release of this new album, which we haven't talked about, Proof, uh, Weverse Magazine has released interviews with each member, one every day for the past week. And Something about uh, the member V's interviews struck me because he used the word persona a lot. Mm -hmm. And and RM actually used the word persona too. Let's start with that. Um, when this album was released on June 10th, leading up to it uh, during the promotions, um, each member released a short video explaining why they chose the songs that they chose because uh, it's Proof is three CDs. The second CD has songs that each of the members chose. And RM did choose his intro persona, his song on the persona, and J-Hope chose his song about ego. You and I have done episodes on each of those songs, and I will provide links to those episodes in the description uh, here uh, below. And RM said that in the end, he found that all of his personas, all of these personas that he's been shifting between are all me, he said. And I think the members and our army who stayed by my side, no matter which of the me's I was, are my proof. So he talked about having these different personas, who he is as an individual, who he is as a family member and, and a friend, and who he, who he is in BTS. So they have been using that word persona a lot more. And it's, I think, causing some confusion, like, okay, who am I? If I'm one person, if I'm one way with this person and I'm another way with this other person, which is the real me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're all me. They're all me. Yeah. So they're how does that me. fit into one feeling like I know who I am? 
And um, so who who is it that RM is saying, uh, they're all me? Who is saying that? Mm -hmm. Who in RM is saying, they're all me? Um, we'd say that's the ego. Okay, the ego is looking at all these personas saying, well, you know, I'm not being false to myself in any of them. Uh, over here, I'm uh, I'm I'm enacting this role. I'm a, I'm a singer or a rapper. Over here, I'm a family member. Over here, uh, you know, we're we're having dinner together with uh, the other BTS members. Uh, none of them are fake or false, um, but they're um, expressions. But all of them are um, um, constructions. We, we could call them. It's a bad word. Constructions, but they're um, they're ways in which we interface with others, with other people. Okay, mm -hmm. we can't help uh, um, wearing a persona. Um, even if, you know, some people say, I don't have a persona because I'm casual all the time. I don't comb my hair. I don't wear any makeup. I don't like persona. Well, that's just another persona. <laughs> okay. You know, so you're right. in the casual mode. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, you can't get away from it. It's how you present yourself. But um, what, what Jung said was uh, none of them are uh, um, speak for the whole uh, mm. personality. So sometimes yeah. the differences are extreme between who you are in public and who you are in private. Um, uh, if you're, say, you're, in, you're a judge and you walk into a court in a gown and uh, everybody stands up and you sit down and you play your role as a judge, that's a persona. You're playing a role. You've been given that role and you play it to the best of your ability and you feel it suits you and uh, you like doing it, and it really expresses a part of who you are. You're a judging sort of person, rational, you like to do this kind of work. It's not false, but it's clearly given. Uh, every judge is playing more or less the same role. Um, uh, entertainers are like that too. You know, they, they walk down the red carpet, they're all playing roles. I'm an actor now. Now, when they go home, when the judge goes home and sits down at the dinner table and there's a two-year-old screaming at the dinner table and the wife is exhausted and, uh, and he's tired, you know, he's not being a judge anymore. He may judge them, but he's not wearing his gown. He's a, he's a, he's a father. He's a husband. Mm -hmm. He has to pitch in. He has to wash the dishes. He's out of his gown. He's out of that role. But it's another role. He stepped yeah. into another role. We all have many roles. Um, uh, actors sometimes have a problem. You know, they, they're very good at adopting roles, at mimicking. So they're given a role. Okay, you're going to play Hamlet. Okay, and you play Hamlet for six months. Every night you're playing Hamlet. And when you come home, after a while, it's hard to get out of that role. You really become Hamlet. You start thinking like Hamlet. You... Uh, you assume that role in, in the rest of your uh, relationships as well. Uh, actors do sometimes have a problem uh, stepping out of the role after a certain moment uh, um, because it's so convincing and they've, they've gotten so infected by it. Even in our um, very amateurish play, the, the analyst and the rabbi, John Hill played uh, Rabbi Beck. That was wonderful. And yeah. 
is a very good actor. And it, it, before the performances, I'd watch him. And he, he had to take a little time out and he would pace up and down. He said, I'm getting into my role. I'm yeah. getting into my role now. So then he goes on stage and he plays Beck. And then it takes a while to get out of his role. Mm -hmm. So it's important after the performance to have a, you know, a, a meal together or do some things together to get back into the rest of your life because this persona can take over for a period of time anyway. And you're very influenced by that persona in, mm -hmm. in the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. What has happened to these young men is that they have been given a role. You are performer. You are BTS. Here's what you are to look like. We're going to dress you. You know, we're going to, here's how you're going to dance. Here's, and you get all this acclaim and all the celebrity. Um, it's, uh, it's very infective, in, infecting, infectious. <laughs> you become infected by it. Yeah. Now there's a danger of identifying with a persona. Jung writes about that in in, seven, in, in two essays, volume seven of the collected works, mm -hmm. two essays in analytical psychology, if anybody wants to read about it. The danger of identifying with a persona is that you become nothing but a social self. There's nothing behind it. There, there's, there's no other person there. When, um, uh, when RM says, I am all these personas, there's somebody else saying that. So he's not identified with them. He stepped okay. back, he says, there, here they are, but I can say I'm all of them. That's There's a, a distance there. And that distance is very important uh, to, to maintain. Uh, when you're in the role, you give yourself totally to it. But after you are done with the role, you have to be able to step out of the role to find yourself in a different way. That's your ego. You find your ego, your way back to that I in you that isn't just your social self in any of its uh, manifestations um, and uh, not get lost in the, um, in the acting. Uh, and, and, and when this kind of celebrity happens, it's very tempting to use it, but it's also a tremendous burden. You can't go out in public without being recognized and, and, uh, and um, you know, the paparazzi are after you and everybody wants a selfie with you. And it, it's a tremendous burden to be that uh, famous. Mm -hmm. So one of the comments that V made in his interview with Weavers Magazine, uh, he was asked, and, and they're excellent interviews. I'll, I will provide links to them in the show notes and in the description. Uh, they're very in-depth. Uh, he was asked, could you tell me something about your BTS persona? And he said, I don't think I can define it in one phrase. If we look at me like I'm a tree, then I think you could say I have thousands of branches. So would you describe a persona that way? I wouldn't. No, I don't know what, uh, what he has in mind there. But I think what he's saying is that he plays different roles. Yeah. There's a single unit so that's the tree and it has you know branches go in different directions so now maybe he's dancing maybe now he's singing maybe now he's in the background maybe now he's in the foreground so those would be the different expressions of that tree but the whole tree itself would be i guess the persona i mean it has different um uh, aspects to it um so when somebody says that they've lost their identity and 
they don't they don't know who they are. I I don't know. I kind of struggle with that because well, I don't define who I am or what I do. I'm a lot of things and I don't feel the need to define who I am. No, it's better not to uh, define what you are, not who you are. Um, the, um, uh, the first uh, uh, experience of psychotherapy that I had was in a group and it was actually in a church in Washington, D.C. called the Church of the Savior. That's where I learned about Jung for the first time. Actually. Ah. This was in 1967, 68. And they had uh, a number of quasi-therapy groups or sort of um, uh, uh, raising consciousness groups in the church. And I joined one of them. And its title was, Where Am I? Where am I? And I found that to be a very good question. If you ask who am I, you'll fall down a rabbit hole. You, you can never get to the bottom of it. Um, and it's a lifelong question, I suppose. And you can only begin to think about it when you're pretty old and looking back, who am I? But what am I or where am I? So if you, how, can you, how do you locate yourself in life right now? And I was at that time just about the BTSers age uh, in my mid-20s. And that's when I discovered Jung. And that took me to Zurich to study um, at the Jung Institute. Uh, that course, Where Am I?, really began to raise my consciousness. I had just finished college. I was in divinity school at Yale. I knew I didn't want to go on in that direction, become a, a Protestant minister, a practicing minister, though I had nothing against it. It just didn't suit my, my um, interests and uh, inclinations. But... Um, uh, so I was at a loss, and I was at a crossroads. And this course, or the, this group, you know, everybody shared. It was a sharing group, about eight mm -hmm. or ten people in it. Everybody spoke freely with a very good leader, very open, a woman who really was an excellent uh, um, leader of the group. And um, and uh, it, began, it made me reflect on where am I? And then the question comes up, uh, if I don't know where I am, maybe I should start thinking about where I want to go and, uh, you know, really reflecting on it. But looking back at that stage, which is what they're doing now, they're looking back nine years we've been together. They're celebrating that. It's an anniversary. And we aren't going to go on like this. We've been very successful. We're very happy. We love the Army. We feel guilty. They said, we feel guilty about doing what we're doing. Yeah. That means you're betraying the mother when you, mm -hmm. when you feel guilty about... Uh, individuating you're betraying the mother and the father you know you're you're leaving home right. and you feel badly about it uh it isn't that they've had a bad experience it's that they need to do something else now so at that moment where am i would be a very good question to ask and that's what they are asking and then out of that reflection um, and having some freedom to explore uh, they're going on a journey now. They're going to explore. They're, they're not programmed now. Now what? Um, and uh, see what, what, uh, where your individuation inclinations will lead you. Mm -hmm. Follow. So we uh, have come up on one hour, and uh, I wanted and, uh, to. Um, 
I'm going to bow out at this point and um, thank you, uh, Laura, for this opportunity to thank you about BTS again at this very significant moment in their history. And it would be so interesting to follow what, uh, what comes about after this. I really appreciate you taking this seriously enough and appreciate your time. Uh, the, the amount of time you've spent uh, going over this and, and talking uh, to, to us and all of the BTS army about it. And I will, um, I mentioned your new book that's being released on July 15th. That's in about a month uh, from Chiron Publications. We will be giving away a copy on Twitter that week on July 15th. And uh, they, they are actually announcing it today. So I, I don't want to say too much about the book, but I'll post a photo of the cover and some more information about it soon. So thank you again for joining us, Dr. Stein. And I am going to, I'm going to remove you and uh, bring in um, our next two guests. But first I would like to tell the listeners a little bit about uh, who we have up next. Melissa Werner is a Jungian analyst in private practice in Birmingham, Alabama. She holds master's degrees in both early childhood education and community counseling, as well as a PhD in child development from the University of Alabama. In 2018, she completed her training as a Jungian analyst, earning a diploma in analytical psychology, which is the degree of a Jungian analyst, from the C.G. Jung Institute in Zurich, her thesis on the feral children of the drug epidemic is currently being prepared for publication. This summer, she will be traveling back to Zurich to lecture at the Jung Institute on trauma in the lives of children of addicts. She will also be presenting at this year's International IAAP Congress for Analytical Psychology in Buenos Aires on her work on death and rebirth. You can learn more about Dr. Werner in episode 97, where we discussed our experiences at the 2021 BTS concerts in Los Angeles. Tiffany Helton holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Phoenix. She has been part of the BTS Army Help Center since 2018 and currently serves as their human resources manager. You can listen to my interview with the Help Center's CEO, Carla Postma-Slabicorn, in episode Q18 to learn more about their services. Tiffany joins us today from Marietta, Georgia. So I'm going to bring both of them on right now. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Tiffany, are you unmuted? Oh. <laughs> I should be. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. And make sure that uh, everybody has other programs on their computer closed so that we have better latency. And I am sorry I didn't get to, there was a question in the live chat and uh, Dr. Stein had to go. So maybe we can address this in a little bit, but I'd like to, hmm, I'm going to change some things around while you guys talk. And who would like to start? Melissa? Well, Tiffany, how should we go then? Uh, one of the uh, things I will say is it's been very interesting to watch this journey from Army's perspective, because both Tiffany and I do a lot, spend a lot of time 
in terms of the help center and maybe Tiffany, you want to talk about what the help center offered people when this first happened? Um, sure. So when, of course, we all, those of us who were watching the live, um, <clears throat> excuse me, festive dinner. Yeah, the dinner um, party, you know, yes. Yeah, we all kind of were in shock and awe about what was transpiring. Um, I know myself, um, I work from home. So, of course, in between reading emails and <laughs> watching what's happening on the screen was just kind of a bit of a shock. And once it was over, you know, um, AHC rallied together. We knew that there was going to probably be an influx of people just having all these different types of feelings about what was happening. So, we kind of got together. We made sure that we had enough, tried to have enough volunteers on hand in case we had an influx of DMs, as well as a volunteer and I um, did a Twitter space to for an hour to kind of help um, Army just kind of discuss how they're feeling, give them some reassurance, let them know that we're here for them and that they can reach out to us. And even if it was just to kind of vent, discuss what was happening, we were there okay. and to let them I, I know. Just, sorry, I just want to jump in. When you say AHC, you're referring to the Army Help Center. And I just want to make sure for the listeners, they know how to to get to what you're discussing as far as reaching out to you guys, that this is through Twitter, right? Yes, yes, this is Okay, I'm sorry Twitter. I interrupted you. No, 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 no. That's perfectly fine. I'm nervous, so I tend to ramble. So I'm glad you did. Um, but yes, this is the Army Help Center. We are on Twitter. So you can message us through there. That's how we get all of our DMs. And we hosted a Twitter space. So for those of you that may not have seen it, a lot of times on Twitter, you might see like these little purple icons at the top of your feed. And it almost kind of reminds me of a live podcast in a way. Okay. Um, so everybody can kind of hop on um, and you don't need to be invited. You can just, if you see it at the top of your feed, you can click into it and join. And that's pretty much what we did. And we held it for an hour. Um, and then if people want to speak or have questions or just want to, you know, express how they're feeling, they can let us know. And then we, you know, invite them in to go ahead and address how they're feeling. So mm -hmm. we held that for an hour. Um, it was difficult, you know, because um, we were trying to keep our feelings together. But, right. you know, as you know, first and foremost, I'm a fan, you know, me and Kanika, we're fans. And so when this happened, we're trying to keep ourselves together. But as we hear other army discussing how they feel, we can hear it in their voices. Um, you know, we can tell that they're upset. Some of them even cried. And of course, as I'm hearing it, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to cry too, you know? So yeah. collectively as a whole, we're all feeling it. But as part of AHC, we wanted to let them know that we're here. So it was it was a great experience. And also, also, don't you think, Tiffany, because what I've watched since the dinner party was released and we all sort of had this collective, oh my goodness, then people are settling down and they're starting to get excited about truly what is to come. Mm -hmm. And, and I have to go back to that song. I mean, the best is the best has happened and the best is yet to come. And that's what, what seems to be going on for army that they're excited about all of the new things that are possible. 
I got to jump in here. Uh, Tiffany, your, your video is, um, it's, I don't know what the word is. It keeps freezing. Uh, Melissa, are you seeing that too? Yes. Okay. Tiffany, I'm going to let Melissa talk for a little bit. I'm going to remove you and ask you to rejoin. Uh, sometimes if you have other programs running on your system, it interferes with, uh, the video quality. So I'm going to remove okay. you, Tiffany, and ask you to re-enter the studio uh, at some point. Okay. Okay. So uh, Melissa, I'll have you talk. Okay. One of the things I really was sh really shocked about in the dinner party is the whole idea that some of the members talked about, I can't think. I'm too busy to think. My morning starts and it gets going and I don't have any time to think. And I'm so glad that they finally realized yeah. they can't continue that way because there, there's no creative energy to produce if you can't even think. And they really yeah. need time to think and grow up and they've got to address their military service. Yeah, that's another touchy subject. And I'm surprised that uh, Dr. Stein didn't bring that up. Um, that's something that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit more freely here in the, in the discussion. That's something that is, uh, well, it's, 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 it's hard to think about them going off and serving in the military. I wish I knew more about what that involves uh, in South Korea. I, I have family in the military here in the United States. I know what boot, what they go through with boot camp and with uh, being stationed in various places and, uh, I have a family member who's uh, right now uh, in a nuclear submarine somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, and I worry about him every day because I don't know if he's okay or what he's doing. So I don't know what this entails in, in South Korea, and it's very difficult for me to imagine these beautiful men, these beautiful, sensitive, talented, I mean, they're gorgeous, all of them, uh, then in, in the military. Well, I, I only have seen this in one comment, so I don't know if this is a, f a comment from every from what it really will be. But it was a, an American military person who had an idol from another group that was attached to his service. And he said it was basically a desk job for him, for that person. And they thought they might not have this the this bigger, more dangerous Okay. part of the military service that they might not have. And also there's got to be security issues. Right. That's another thing. But the royal family, Tiffany, thank you for rejoining us. Yes, We're talking about their mandatory military service and the status of that and not knowing. Uh, but another thing that I thought of uh, on this topic is the members of the royal family. And Prince Charles is next in line to for the throne and he served in the military and uh, his sons both served in the military. I mean, in combat, not desk jobs. And I know that security was an issue for Prince Harry when he was in Afghanistan. So yeah. Yeah. We'll just have to say, I have read, but only in one place that there will be an announcement in a few weeks about those plans. And it may be that just keep hearing that. Yeah, nothing ever happens. Yeah, so it may not happen. Or one day somebody may go because the oldest member has to go, I believe, by December. But, you know, yes. I'm speaking as a non-Korean 
who does not understand in-depth Korean culture. So I, I'm at a loss here. Tiffany, what do you know about their mandatory uh, military service? I am pretty much right there with both of you of not really knowing. Um, just like most army, you know, we all kind of speculate like, oh my God, are they going to go together? Are they going to go separately? Um, you know, are they going to be three? Are they going to be three? You know, so ultimately, I think that at the end of the day, um, I'm sure I can speak for myself, maybe a few other armies, but at the end of the day, whatever they choose to do, is whatever they choose to do, whether they choose to be exempt, whether they choose to go, that's their own personal decision. Um, but is it a choice? Can they cho can they choose? My understanding is it's not a choice, and the legislation that was going to make it be a choice for them is, and we've seen this in other countries. The legislation is just dead in the water. It, it's okay. not moving forward. I think I think it's like they're at a crossroads, you know, it's like a catch 22, you know what I'm saying? Like, so you have this group who undoubtedly has brought billions of won to their country that has helped increase travel and tourism and help to, excuse me, promote the export of more Korean, um, Korean, uh, products, so to speak, yeah, you know, awareness. so whether it be the movies, the clothes, the skincare, the music, right. um, so you have this group that has kind of helped to expand that out into the world, so the question is, you know, from a business standpoint, do you let your money makers, you know, disappear for, not really disappear, but be gone for however long? Or do you keep them and, and let them continue to generate revenue for your country? So I think that that's kind of where it is. And, you know, right now, since it's up in the air, they really have no choice. They will go if they're called upon. So I think, I think the members do have some kind of say, like if the government's like, hey, we're gonna go ahead and exempt you. You guys don't have to go, whatever. I think ultimately, they'll do what's best for them. If they say, okay, thanks, but we want to fulfill our service yeah. as a Korean, let us do that. Then can they really tell them no? You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. at the end of the day, can you really stop someone from doing their service, doing what they feel is right in their heart for their country and what they have grown up and is part of their culture? Yeah. Yeah. And I worry about if they are exempt as a group, Tiffany, if they are exempted as a group, what do you think would be, would there be any backlash? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Because then everybody, you know, not to, you know, getting into this, that's the one thing I don't really enjoy about being part of the fandom is a lot of the fan wars, right? Because yeah. then everybody's like, well, if BTS can be exempt, why can't so-and-so be exempt? And right. why can't so-and-so do this? Or you're setting unrealistic expectations for these other groups. Why does it have mm -hmm. to be that way? And ultimately, anybody can achieve whatever it is that they want. The question is, does your group want to do it? Ultimately, that's really what it boils down to is, do they want to do it? And do they have the will and drive to do it. BTS did. Their fan base, you know, the, the army chose to help with that. 
And I feel like that has a lot to do with it. So instead of arguing and fighting amongst each other and each fan base or whatever, propel your group, help lift your group, you know, because that's what it, to me, that's what it's all about. It's about loving your faves and helping them succeed and do what you, you know, do what they wanted to do because you care for them. You want to see them happy. You don't want to fight and spend time fighting with other groups or other fan bases. Armin's busy trying to help, you know, perpetuate GPS and what they stand for and the self-love and the positivity. Right. You know, so one of the things you mentioned, Tiffany, is this whole idea of love. One of the most, to me, hardest and most important union concepts is this idea that, and it's not just you, but if you love something, you have to let it go. You have to let it be and live. And if you don't want it to change or move, that's power. That's not love. And where power exists like that, love's not possible. And certainly it is hard to, it, but I, that's what I think I see Army doing is moving into, well, if we really love them, we have to appreciate whatever this next step is going to be what is yet to come. And maybe it's not love. Maybe it's need. Maybe we say we love BTS, but the fact is that they're, they're filling a need for some of us. Uh, They're, they're filling a hole that we have and that's not love. And so we're upset that they're not going to be the same. They're not going to keep fulfilling that need what am I going to do? I mean, I know that I was saving my miles and my points because I thought they were going to go on world tour and I was going to go wherever I could to see them again, even though I've seen them three times in three different cities. uh, I would keep going. And now I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with my, the rest of this year? I mean, that's a ridiculous example, but they also they entertain me and they fulfill me and they fill a need that I have. Um, so I, I, I don't want to go too far into that, but that Melissa, what you're saying, that is an ideal, right? That is true love. Uh, what if this, this isn't exactly love, it's something else. So. Well, if, if yeah. it's something else, it's going to be destructive to BTS in the end. Because one of the things they clearly said in the dinner party was, we we can't think anymore. We don't have words to write songs yeah. anymore. It, it, it's very, the, the level of can't go on as BTS has been there. I think we got a couple extra years that... Right. That because of the pandemic, perhaps that wouldn't have happened, that this was would have happened before. Before. And Tiffany, you had brought up a good point oh. when you and I were chatting earlier about the lyrics to Black Swan. Would you share that with us? Um, sure. So, I, like you mentioned, you know, after it all transpired, you know, the first person I call is Melissa. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, so we're all on the phone. Um, and, you know, I said that to you. And I said that also in our. Twitter space is that, you know, the one thing that ARMY loves about BTS is how real their lyrics right. are, right? How yeah. relatable, um, you know, just whether it's on a big scale, small scale, it's still relatable to any and everybody, right? No matter how old you are, young you are, what you do for a living, they're relatable. Black Swan 
And like I said, this is the most realist human example of their lyrics. These weren't just words that they put on a page because at one point in time they were feeling them. I feel like these were words put on a page because that's what they were feeling and was still feeling after the song was written. And so now we physically see those lyrics in in their faces and what they said and mm-hmm. what they were going through at the dinner party. And and that's what it is, you know? And Tell us, t- tell us the, for people who don't remember or don't even know about the lyrics to Black Swan, what stands so, out to you? To me, um, what stands out is the fact that, you know, Black Swan, amazing song, amazing song, mm-hmm. right? But it's about not, what if something that you love, what if you no longer have the love or the passion for that yeah. thing? Whether it is music or art or dancing or writing or singing or just your everyday job that you used to love, mm-hmm. right? So if you no longer have the passion for it, it's like your first death. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that integral part of you that now is kind of dimming, that drive that pushes you forward to continue to do what you love most. And that flame is starting to go out. That candle is starting to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And that wick is starting to just get down further and further and further. The more you keep it lit. And it's so odd that I'm using a candle as a reference because I have tons of candles in my house. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it, that's what it reminds me yeah. of. You know, you don't burn. When you get candles, you don't burn it all day, all night, right? You blow it out. You save it. You relight it, you know? And to me, I feel like this is what they're doing. They're blowing out the candle on season one so that they can, you know, get back to it, revive it. And when they light that candle, that fire, it's going to be just as bright. It's going to be just as wonderful. But they're going to have way more life experience to write about. Right. And that's the biggest thing. You know, we love them because their lyrics are so honest and so real and so relatable. And above anything else, for me, I don't want them to turn into other groups where they're just superficially writing things that they really have no full concept of or a full grasp of to where I can no longer relate, mm-hmm. you know? And as somebody who's an older army, you know, a lot of people think that those lyrics can't relate to us. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's very relatable even to very, people yeah. in their thirties, forties, fifties and seasoned <laughs> and seasoned. Okay. You know, but they're relatable. We've all gone through that where we're stressed at our jobs. We want to quit. We, you know, we doubt ourselves as parents, as mothers, as fathers, as, you know, children to our own parents. And we feel that. So I, I for one, is as shocking as it was, you know, because we're all like, what is going on? What is going on? You know, but I, I love an artist who can truly say how they feel and execute that because as mm-hmm. army. We, we tend to follow their lead sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, ahead, I was thinking, have you noticed that already the pictures are more open? Yeah. Of some of the individuals, they're bare chest. Open, they're raw, they're bare chested. They're Belly like, button. I'm going to be here now. Uh, J Hope was just talking about in English about his desire for the Lollapalooza. 
and evidently there was going to be an one person on Twitter said, "Oh my gosh!" Instead of one, one group. Now we're going to have to follow seven. This is I've got to start saving money. So maybe there are money that we were saving for tickets is going to have be spent in mm. learning all different yeah. types, and maybe it won't even be music. Maybe it'll be television programs or acting or who knows right. what. Because they've got to be real people. I'd like to point something out. Uh, I didn't get to this in the the portion with uh, Dr. Stein, but I did mention how Weverse Magazine was putting out an interview, one interview a day with each of the seven members. And Jimmins came out either last night or this morning. And I pulled out so many quotes from it. um, But just uh, briefly... um, Well, he talked about uh, taking a breather. He called this a breather. And he said, maybe I can be more explicit. And he was asked, what do you mean more explicit? He said, I just think I could show something a little more raw about me. That might include a more mature side too. But what I'm really interested in showing something closer to my real personal rawness directly in a format like music or music videos. Uh, And he also mentioned how some of the older members have already dealt with some of the darker material on their solo mixtapes. So he wants to move in that direction and that he feels like he had been all this time trying to deny something. And he also mentioned staying faithful to his calling. So, uh, these guys are either reading Jung or listening to speaking of Jung, uh, hopefully or not. <laughs> So your thoughts on them now showing a more mature side of themselves. How do you think Army's going to react to that? I think Army's starting to pull it together and react beautifully. I I I pulled up something and it was a letter to BTS from an Army person that sh- should we just continue to tell them thank you. Thank you for being true to yourself and moving forward. They have to move forward. I have to move forward. Yeah. Get for me going with my passion about BTS was one of the ways that I moved forward and it looked awkward. I I don't I mean I'm a grandmother. It, it looked very awkward, but I had to go forward because that's where my passion was calling me. So it's gonna be fascinating to find out where it led me to Tiffany. It's good. Mm-hmm. And you, Laura, it's going to mm-hmm. be fascinating to see where they get pulled toward. They get called to, and they'll make mistakes. And we're going to have to live with their human mistakes just like we live with our own. Mm-hmm. One of the things I appreciated uh, in the dinner party that was said, uh, they were talking about putting out their solo material. And I think Suga was telling Jimin, if I'm not mistaken, just put it out. That's the only way you're going to learn. And what you want and what you don't want or what works, what doesn't work. And that's what happened with this podcast. When I started this podcast in 2015, I felt like I wasn't ready. You know, when do I start? And then I got to the point where I thought I have to just begin and then go from there, learn by doing. Absolutely. I think that honestly, I am so excited to see what they come out with, especially um, for our vocalists. 
because they haven't really dove into that aspect. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we know June has done it. We know Yoongi has done it. J-Hope on a, you know, Hobie on a different scale, but in a way still did the same. So the vocal line hasn't really had a chance if I'm not mistaken, to really dive into those deeper layers, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. of those things. And I get, you know, like bless them for always wanting to show us the positive sides, the good sides, you know, bless them for it, you know. But at the end of the day, I think that's them in their vulnerable moments is what really draws ARMY in, keeps us there because, you know, a lot of celebrities, a lot of musicians had a lot behind the curtain. And especially right. when it comes to Western artists, it's always so much scandal. It's always so much dirt, so much shade. They never really, you don't really hear a lot of positive feedback for a lot of Western artists. You know, you, you have some, but not a lot, right? And definitely not on the scale as BTS is. You know, they're on a, a way huge scale when it comes to positivity you know, um, sparking inspiration in others, Um, you know, having us do these things without really having us do these things, you know what I mean? So I I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to see what they come out with um, and with their voices and the way that they sing. Oh, first of all, we might as well just have Kleenex ready because I know that we... (laughs) There's going to be some tears. There's going to be um, just overall a mix of emotion with it. But I'm prepared. I'm really, honestly, I'm super hyped for Tay because I feel like he's about to be all in his jazz bag and I mm-hmm. can't wait. Yeah, yeah. And it reminded me also, uh, if I, I'd like to add this, that before I found BTS, I was a big Fleetwood Mac fan and Uh, Stevie Nicks at some point went off and did some solo records because she's a songwriter Mm -hmm. and being in a band of five people, Fleetwood Mac, uh, she can only contribute two or three or four songs for each album. And she had hundreds of songs she had written and it was frustrating for her because, you know, every two years she only had a few of her songs published. So she stayed in Fleetwood Mac uh, you know, they've had their ups and downs. Um, she stayed in Fleetwood Mac, but she, during their off time, went and did solo records and solo tours. And then when she was done with that and Fleetwood Mac would get back together to do another album, she'd go back to Fleetwood Mac. And that worked really well. Uh, she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, both as a solo artist and as a member of Fleetwood Mac. So it's possible. Yeah, most definitely. And and like they said in their, you know, their dinner, when they come back together, they'll have so much more life experience because they've gone out and lived their lives separately, not as a team, but separately. They all have got, you know, they will all have gotten a chance to find what makes them happy, find what doesn't make them happy, um, genres that they want to dive into, tones that they like, different things. And when they do get back together, they all are going to have different life experiences that they can pull from that still can be relatable to those average, you know, average Joes like myself, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm, 
I can't wait. I like I said, I'm more excited for the vocal line only because I just want to experience and and find out what they've been feeling. Because you hear a lot from the rap line because you know, when it comes to mm, hip hop, a, a lot of that is based on emotion. It's based on life experience and and being able to say what you want to say and how you want to say it. Where vocally, a lot of times you don't have a lot of that. You know, it's a lot of R and B. It's a lot of jazz. It's mainly a lot of love songs and yeah. I want you and the breakup and all this. Yeah. So to be able to hear from the vocal line from a quote unquote possibly mental health standpoint, or as you said for Jimin, to be able to explore the rawer, the rawer sides of them and hear it done vocally as opposed to rap will be very interesting. And I, I, I just can't wait. I don't know if either of you were here when I asked Marie Stein about the potential of them having personal relationships and how we haven't seen that. And um, Melissa, as a Jungian analyst, what do you say uh, to ARMY uh, about the potential of them, yeah, having-, having to live their lives? And the beautiful thing is, if if army really thinks about it and i think they are army is is a huge what 40 million or more fan base but they're not people that don't want they can't be frozen in time if they're frozen in time it will disappear anyway bts and so they have to have relationships and we're not going to ha be happy just like when family members have relationships, may, we may be happy, we may not be happy, but it doesn't mean we quit caring about them because we have to, you, the things you love, you have to let go. I'm just typing into the live chat. Uh, we're getting some comments and questions. Okay. And Melissa, I know you need to go. Uh, sorry, I'm calling you Melissa, uh, Dr. Werner. Oh, um, yeah. Please call me Melissa. This was a little bit of a more casual discussion. No, that's my thing on the podcast is uh, okay. it's well. a nod to Art Bell. Anyway, so uh, I don't want to ignore everybody in the live chat um, yes. because I asked people I specifically to join us in the live chat. Uh, there's a good morning, a hi from Japan, a hello. Uh, I love how it's being explained. And then uh, a gentleman mm -hmm. whose name I can't pronounce asked if he could ask a question about active imagination interpretation. I appreciate the question, but that is something that we can't cover in this uh, session. Uh, that's something that, yeah, you'd have to take to an analyst because uh, we don't speak out of turn here. Uh, th uh, thank you for Dr. Stein. Okay, uh, how might the recently announced BTS hiatus uh, I think they clarified the use of that term and it's yeah. not officially a hiatus, but that, that word was used in the dinner party captions when it was translated into English, but they've since clarified it is not officially a hiatus. This question, uh, how might the recently announced BTS hiatus assist the taking back of fan projections and constellate one's own unrealized inner potentials and energies? What initiates the taking back of the projection? That's a great question. This is a wonderful that, question. Yeah. Thank you, Margot's Doggy Palace. Yeah. Margot's Doggy Palace. Thank you. 
Melissa, you want to take that one? How, when, when anybody refuses to hold your projection, you have to figure out how to take it back. I mean, that's basically what they've said. We're, we're done with this. There will be something. We don't know what the something is. So for me, I've translated that question is BTS and Army Synergy together. And there's another analyst that I've recently met who is a BTS, big BTS Army fan. Mm -hmm. The Synergy together, and I may cry as I say this, gave me hope for the whole world in a yeah. time that the world is is was feeling really dark. Yeah. But how do we carry that? I can't, BTS can't carry it. It should not have carried it as perhaps as the, what they say is they couldn't, shouldn't have carried it as long as they did. Mm -hmm. So how do we start carrying it? How do I personally start carrying? But I, but I learned a lot. I've learned so much from BTS and army about reminders about kindness and yeah. caring and positivity. And that's what I personally have to carry into the world and be a nicer person because of it, because of this experience. And the beautiful thing is this experience won't go away, but it is changing. It's and changing. And maybe as they're individuating and growing, ARMY is individuating and growing. We didn't talk, Dr. Stein and I didn't talk about that. I mean, we talked about them as a group individuating. What about ARMY as a group? individuating well i think in and tiffany you you also saw this because we talked together about this i think army is already starting to come at first it was like oh my gosh yeah and everybody's crying i mean all these videos of all these people crying and mm -hmm. then it's like oh well that means this thing can happen and this thing can happen and i think you saw that too tiffany that People are stepping up in their own caring about what's happening. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I think it was the initial shock mm -hmm. is what it was. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Army is that, as we know, right, because June came out with a letter having to, which I'm not going to lie, I was quite perturbed about that because mm -hmm. he shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have had to come out with a letter to explain anything to anybody. They said what they said, and that's it. You know what I mean? And for Army, for, for true Army, like Tay said, 90%. So I'm talking about that 90% that are truly here for them. Yes, it was a shocker. And it, yes, we were in tears because we didn't know what was going on. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of like, are they doing this? Also, because we also knew that whole thing with the military in the background, we didn't know what was going on, if that had anything really to do with this as well. And I think for most Army, for that 90%, it was just the fact that we weren't really fully going to see them as one. You know what I mean? Not necessarily that they're doing separate things. It's just because we have been so used to seeing them as this, right? This, this circle, these piece this puzzle mm -hmm. this full puzzle that's already been put together but not necessarily seeing the separate pieces that made this collective puzzle so now i think that we are better at understanding that that's what that is and that 
we're like, okay, now that we're over the initial shock of it, now let's get hyped for all that's to come. Right. So it's, it's, you know, just like your your regular layers, when something happens that's kind of shocking, you're not really prepared for it. Because I mean, let's be honest, nobody saw this coming. Okay. Not a hint, not a not a spoiler. Bless June for keeping it under wraps. You know what I'm saying? Because he's he's known for spoiling some stuff. But for this whole thing to come under wraps and as everybody is prepared for their dinner festival, because we've seen them and we know how they can be and we're excited and we're happy to hear what they're going to say. And we know it always turns into just something funny, but they also have their serious moments. And for this to just kind of go the way it did was the shocking part. And I think that that's where all that emotion came from. And so now that we have better settled down in the realization of what they're doing, we're, we're happy. We ready. Let's roll. But I, it just breaks my heart that they, that June had to do that. And it, it sucks that Western media for most of the, for most of them turn this into just a complete farce of uh, artists, musicians being open and honest with their fans mm-hmm. and then try to make it seem like that we overreacted. And I can't stand mm. that. That part is just so unfair to ARMY and BTS as a whole because we didn't overreact. We were true in our feelings. We hurt for them. And for the 90%, it was more so seeing them cry yes. and seeing yes. them upset and knowing that they felt like they disappointed us right. if they were going to take a break. That was the driving force behind the emotion. Great point. I mean, I can't... I can't name a single army I talked to that said the moment June cried, it was it was a rap for army as a whole. That's our leader. That's our yeah. president. You know what I'm saying? And to see him break down in the manner in which he did, you knew that that was not fake. You knew that that came from his soul. That was deep. And then for Western media to just twist it and make it something that it's not was so hurtful. It was so hurtful, not just to BTS, but for armies too, because we know they meant what they said and we're going to believe them because they have never lied or broken a promise, but you want to turn it into this big circus and it wasn't. And I just, I feel like that was so disrespectful. Yeah, that but you know, so- I, I just want to mention that uh, that happens in sports and it happens in politics. It does. So the misunderstandings, the pulling out words to create sensational headlines, that's kind of the way it goes. But um, it is. you make a great point. And I just also would like to add that one of the things he's, RM said, when you say June, just for some of the listeners who aren't familiar, you mean Nam June, yeah. who is RM. Yeah, it Sorry. took me a while to learn their <laughs> stage names. Yeah. And then it took me even longer to learn their real names. But now it's like second nature. Uh, he said something. I'm looking here through the transcript because if anybody watches the, their dinner party, it's called the Real BTS Dinner Party. I'll provide a link to it uh, down below in the description and in the show notes. You can turn on subtitles, English subtitles, but you can also, I don't know if this is just for YouTube premium members, you can also download a transcript. So you can click on transcript. He said something about that. This is where it got me is that he didn't want to have to worry anymore about the rules of the world. 
and that he wanted to be able to speak freely. And that's something that I've been running up against with this podcast is not being able to speak freely. And I don't like that because when I started this podcast, yes, it was seven years ago. It was a totally different time now. Uh, I thought that I was going to, I had a lot to say and I thought I was going to be able to say it. And as the years have gone by, I've become more and more censored. I'm censoring myself because of the consequences mm -hmm. uh, that can come about with, with being open uh, about certain things. And I don't like that. And I think about it every day and I struggle with it every day. So uh, when he said that, not wanting to have to worry about the rules of the world uh, when he spoke and the look on his face, that that's what really got me. So could we take some of these questions and comments from the live chat? I'm going to keep sure. going here. Uh, it was beautiful to see the Army Help Center reach out to armies on Twitter. Uh, that's from Shelly. Uh, I was there, Tiffany. It was a blessing. Thank you, Gwendolyn, for your comment. Well, thank you. Anna says, I am a bit late on the video, but hopefully I will catch up and have a question ready. Thank you, Anna. Uh, image is psyche says Elvis was enlisted. Great point. Yeah. Great point. So I had brought up the members of the Royal family serving in the military, but Elvis Presley did as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Celtic Jungian says, thank you for bringing BTS into my life. I am a middle-aged woman. So surprised how deeply they have affected me. Same here. Maybe now it's time to seek within ourselves the joy and hope they exemplify. What a beautiful statement. Yeah, so absolutely. True. So true. Yeah. Celtic Union. Thank you, Celtic Union. Uh, the gentleman who asked the question about active imagination, I'm sorry we can't break that down here. He says, okay, no worries. Appreciated anyways. Thank you for understanding. Phi uh, Lightentist. And I'm not, these are cold readings. I'm not reading these ahead of time. So it could be something could be anything. Uh, Laura London, I've been waiting for this. When you said, what do we have to do with them? I don't know what that means. When a Jungian analyst asked about, asked you about helping other peoples, what did you mean? Uh, I'm going to ask you to clarify. Oh, you want to say it, it was, was Murray Stein. Yeah. Do you remember that, Melissa? No, I know. Trying to okay. He he said it was in a previous episode. Oh, okay. um, and that uh, laugh out loud. If it was Murray Stein, this is a wonderful synchronicity uh, that I said it perfect, or he said it perfect. I don't know, but Phi Lightentist. I don't know what that means. Uh, if you could clarify your question, uh, we'd be happy to address it. So we have about fifteen minutes left and or Melissa does and what other topics did we want to cover here today anything i th i think that if i think in terms of union a framework this is what the dinner party is is a model for moving forward it's realizing because all too often we get so caught up in our own lives and we're like i've got to go i've got to go i've got to I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And as RM said, I couldn't, I don't even think anymore. I just get up and follow my schedule. Right. So they're saying that is not a way to live a whole and full life. Yeah. And maybe that's the task for all of us is to be reminded 
that is not a way to where can we deepen? Where can we be reconnected with the wonder of the world? BTS did that for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think we'll still continue to do it because, for example, all these interviews that you're talking about, Laura, the Weavers interviews, oh my gosh, they're, they're deep things to ponder and think about. And even the, the pictures that go with them show a stripping down. At least some of them are showing a real stripping down, yeah. a real bearing. Yeah. Finally, yeah. not censoring yeah. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think what the dinner party also shows is them being human. Yeah. You know, we see them as these wonderful ambassadors and 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 figureheads and artists and musicians. But I feel like at that dinner party, they were just being human. They were being as human uh, as I've ever seen them be. And just it I feel like it just shows the world that they are just not these phenomenal entertainers they're people these are you know grown let me say it again grown men okay they are grown men mid 20s to 30s they are grown and this is a time in their life where they should be grown and that 90 percent of army i feel will accept and understand the fact that they are grown just like we would want to see what our own kids, for those of us who have kids, we want to see our kids grow up as much as we want, wish that they still stayed small because that's when they loved us the most. That's when they kind of was just at their cutest, right? But we have to understand that they grow up. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with BTS. These are grown men who have to grow and we have to let them. We have to give them that space to flower and bloom. Yeah. So I, I, I love that. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to jump in here with this for you, Melissa, about our culture being a little youth obsessed. Uh, we I see here in the United States that we are a youth obsessed culture and that, and you know, this is something I haven't brought up before on an episode about BTS is sometimes we tend to infantilize them and not see them as grown men. And that's not always just our fault because as I, as I brought up with Dr. Stein, they weren't allowed to show their bare chest so much so that in the last season of in the soup, Hobie got Jimin out of bed and Jimin doesn't sleep with a top on. Now he has said that publicly. So yeah, yeah no, I've read I'm not that. speaking out of turn and they put a CGI cartoon like shirt on Jimin so that they can show them walking down the hallway. So we couldn't see his chest. And when they get in the pool, when they got in the hot tub, they had tops on. Now Jimin's in the Weverse magazine with an open jacket. You can see his yeah. belly button. Um, but what what would you say as a Jungian analyst about how we are youth obsessed and we're not we're not so open to maybe it's the realization of aging and mortality. We don't want to face that. Well, actually yet to come has been a, because I've struggled with my own aging yeah. and the whole idea of the best has already happened. Mm-hmm. And that song gives me as an aging person, such a beautiful, the best is yet to come. And it's a both end. It's already happened. I've had 
a wonderful, I have a wonderful life. I've had a wonderful life, mm -hmm. but it doesn't stop now. The best is yet to come. And for me, that, that that's sort of going to be a mantra yeah. for myself. But Jen in the comments says the most beautiful thing. She says, uh, after telling ARMY to love ourselves, BTS is going on a journey of loving themselves. Mm. Thank and you. And we Jen. have to love them for it. And I think that just is a beautiful way to state it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Another comment we have uh, from Angeline De Dios. Thank you for such a beautiful conversation. I'm wondering about how BTS's transition to more human lives is somehow also humanizing the transitions in and through masculinity. A beautiful mm. comment, beautiful mm. comment, because I live in an area of the United States that is imbued with toxic masculinity, mm -hmm. even to the point that we had one of those shootings in my community, my incredibly safe community, mm -hmm. Three people were killed at a church. Yeah, I saw that. That we have to move to definition of masculinity that is away from that toward a compassionate, caring masculinity, which is the hallmark, the loving, the loving man, the loving father. It's the hallmark. And it's there is masculine aggression, but it can it can enlighten the soul. It, it doesn't have to be just destructive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but those things are taught. And that's the thing, you you know, I feel like it has to start at the beginning. You know, if you are, you know, and with my son, my son's 22, you know, but at one point I was a single mom. It's just me and him. And I've always made it a point to tell him it's okay to cry. It's okay to tell me how you're feeling. It's It's okay. You know, it doesn't make you less of a person. It doesn't make you less of a man to express how you feel because ultimately, you know, those things build up. You don't, you have, end up having unresolved issues, unresolved feelings, resentment towards certain things. And I don't want that for you. So, you know, but then also, you know, I'm a little bit of a tomboy too. You know, some people say I'm a little more, I'm a little more masculine and feminine, you know. And so me and him, you know, I definitely try to let him be more open. So I feel like it does start at the beginning. It does start with good examples. It does start with letting men and young boys know that it's okay. If they don't have that and they you know, have that, oh, well, if you're a man or if you're a boy, you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to share your feelings. That's a woman's thing. Women are emotional, men are not. That's what they're growing up to learn. And that's why they become the men that they are for most of them. Because it doesn't equate to all. It's just most, you know, a good percentage of most, you know. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like the more we try to, especially for the younger generation, which is another reason why I love BTS, because they're great role models for my son at the time when he first started listening to them, which mm. is God knows when, you know, but it's the fact that it's letting them know that it's okay. It's okay to, to cry. It's okay to say how you feel. And I think that that has also helped with the shaping of my son. So now he's, mm. you know, nice. uh, freshly just discharged from the Marines in January. So yes, he still kind of has this, masculine presence but it's not a toxic 
masculinity. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So I think it, it starts from the ground up. It's about that foundation, you know, just like with the house. If your foundation is trash, your house is going to eventually not stand. You have to have a great foundation to build upon. And I think that if we start there or if the more generations start there, the better it's going to be. So. Thank you for your comment. Uh, one more is, again, from Phi Light and Tis. Since they are using psychology in their music heavily, it's no wonder. Sorry, I lost it. It's no wonder they are focusing more on their humanity. It's how you generate the creativity and inspiration to connect to other human beings. You all have to dwell in human realms. Uh, the, mo the movie Limitless sort of displays of this, the movie Limitless sort of displays this, the main character yep. after going, gaining enlightenment through, uh, use of the philosopher's stone starts hanging around people more instead of being a recluse. Well, thank you, you for can, your comment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can also only individuate through relationships. You can't go do it. My analyst told me every week, practically, you can't go onto a mountain and individuate. You, it has to be in the messy, messy realm yeah. of human relationships. Great point. Great point. And maybe that's it. Tiffany, if you had a final comment and then I'll, I'm going to wrap it up. I was going to say, although I'm not a, a union analyst, I kind of put it in a simpler, simpler terms, you yeah. know, where I tell people all the time, you know, as you hear this term, you have people in your life for a season and a reason. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people I don't regret anybody that I've met, whether I no longer talk to them, whether I disagreed with them and we're on bad terms, whether they're still in my life. But I say that to say because without meeting those people, there are things about myself I would have never discovered right. and even changed. You know, sometimes we meet people that have us see things about ourselves that we didn't necessarily know was a hindrance. Right. And because I've met those people, it's been easier for me to correct that and look at that and do my own self growth. So, you know, same thing what you said, you can't find individualization on a mountain you got to be in the in the thick of it right yeah. you got to be in the trenches taking grenades to kind of find go. out who you are exactly. so I see it the same way you have these people that come in your life to help show you things about yourself to help you grow and be a better person um, whether they're still there or gone but you have learned something from that person to mm -hmm. grow so I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, I want to thank you both. And I'm going to read the outro really quickly. Please visit the website, speaking of Jung, that's J-U-N-G.com for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. Speaking of Jung is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. With special thanks to Dr. Stephen Buser and Jennifer Fitzgerald at Chiron Publications, to Liz Jefferson at Inner City Books, Carla Postma Slabicorn at the BTS Army Help Center, to BTS and their entire staff, and to the BTS Army. I love you guys. I'm Laura London, and you have been watching a very special live stream edition of Speaking of Young.
Thank you.